Hey guys, this is your host, Francisca, and welcome back to the Hikers Anonymous podcast. On this podcast, I help share people's inspirational stories about how hiking, backpacking, and the outdoors changed their lives. If you have an inspirational story about how the outdoors positively impacted your life, please send a short synopsis to hikeoregon at hikeoregon.net and put in the subject line podcast guest. Today, I am talking with Liz, who has been an online friend of mine for years, and I've been following her journey as she has traveled, gone through school, and is now working for the Forest Service. To hear about how Liz grew up and how the outdoors has shaped her, continue listening to this episode. So I'm here with Liz today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Awesome. So I really want to hear about um, kind of your history with the outdoors. Talk about maybe your childhood. Did you grow up enjoying the outdoors with your family um, or Girl Scouts or anything like that? Yeah, it's kind of a mixed answer. So I grew up not super well off um, financially, but we did live in Santa Cruz which is now notoriously, notoriously like a very expensive place to live. Um, we lived in kind of a, like a not bad area, but you know, it was just, it wasn't like one of the really fancy parts. Um, but we did live really close to the beach, which was pretty amazing. So that was really cool growing up and going to the beach as a kid. Um, but then we moved to Oregon when I was six, we moved to Eugene and that's technically where I grew up. It's always kind of hard to answer where I'm from when people ask me because I've lived so many places but that's my like general go-to is Eugene um and I mean we didn't really take very many vacations or anything we did two that were notable um went to Yellowstone when I was probably like third or fourth grade and Hawaii when I was also very young um because my grandma had like a timeshare there and all that stuff but yeah my dad uh growing up my dad was not a very nice guy. Um, he struggles a lot with mental health issues, and there's nothing against that, obviously, in, the, in what I'm trying to say here. But um, we did have a very unstable household growing up. There was a lot of abuse emotionally, physically. Um, my sister and I, I have actually quite a few siblings, but my little sister and I are both his kids. And so um, what we would do to get away from the house was go climb this big tree that we had in our side yard in Eugene. And um, that was really cool because we could kind of just get away and like get in the trees. Um, we also would like explore our neighborhood. But um, that was the extent really, like we didn't really have a whole lot of outdoor adventures. I kind of, it was always my solace to go into the outdoors when I was little, just to get away. And then um, that grew later on in life as well. Tell us what you uh, do now and then kind of how you progressed into that. Yeah. So now I work for the U.S. Forest Service. I'm a field ranger. So basically I patrol the forest. Um, I specifically work on the Deschutes out of Bend, and this is my second season at Bend. I've also worked in Willamette and Umpqua, and I love it. I'm always outside every day, and I get to explore. I get to clean up stuff as well, the not-so-fun part, but I do a lot of stuff. I'm sure you've seen because you're in the woods all the time, um, but yeah, so that's that's 
what I do now, and it entails a lot of other things too. I could talk for hours about it, but that's the basics of it. And um, I just graduated from Oregon State University Cascades with my degree, the mouthful, uh, tourism, recreation, adventure leadership with a minor in natural resources. And when I tell people that, they're like, that's a degree. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. It was really cool. We did a lot of whitewater kayaking, rafting. We did mountaineering. Um, I've summited Middle Sister and Broken Hand in the wintertime. And yeah, we did a bunch of different stuff. So now I'm at like, no pun intended, the peak of my outdoor journey, in my opinion. I think I'm the most outdoorsy I've ever been in my life right now. That's amazing. So how did you get there? What's the story? It was a long, long journey, <laughs> um, but I won't take up two hours worth, so I'll just break it down a little bit. So um, in 2008, we lost our house in the big housing market crash that happened, and my parents divorced, and we moved to Newport, and that's where I went to high school on the coast here in Oregon, and I fell in love with the ocean again. I started mushroom hunting. Um, my friends and I would like sneak off and like go in the woods and do you know, stupid teenager stuff. And it was really fun. And I, that's kind of where I fell in love with being outdoors again. But it wasn't like a love at first sight situation. It was more of a familiarity. And then when I graduated high school, um, I backpacked in Europe, I got like a scholarship, and I was able to go there. So that was really cool. And then I came back and moved to Santa Cruz again, because my mom moved down there. And I was like, hmm, this is really cool. Maybe I'll try going to college. So I went to community college for a semester. <laughs> I quickly realized, oh my gosh, I am so not ready to be in school. Like I was so restless and uh, I was just going stir crazy. And I was like, there's got to be something else for me. There's got to be something else. Like, what what can I do? I'm not ready to just settle here. Um, and then I met at this open mic, uh, these two traveler kids. And I just thought they were like the coolest guys ever. They were hitchhiking and train hopping. And I was like, what? You can do that? <laughs> Which is funny to think about now because, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's just funny to, to think about in retrospect. But yeah, so I ended up asking if I could join them. And they said, yeah. Um, and we train hopped and hitchhiked down to New Orleans from Santa Cruz. And I'd never done that before. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Um, nothing like super scary happened. That's always the big question I get. I'm like, oh, my God. I had just turned 19. It was January 1st, 2012 was the date that we took off. And we were out on the road for a couple months. We stopped in. And it's funny because Occupy Wall Street was going on when this was happening. So it kind of worked in our favor because we were like, oh, there's all these people camping everywhere and they're not getting in trouble and they're not like creepy and homeless looking. So we were like, all right, cool. Or I shouldn't say homeless. It's not PC, houseless. But yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was really good timing for us. Um, and also I'm very privileged as a white young you know I was cute female and people didn't really see harm in picking me up even if I had my grimy friend next to me like they were like oh this young girl we have to save her so we always got picked up <laughs> um, yeah and made it through the south went through Arizona New Mexico Texas um, yeah all the way to Louisiana and then I met my friend there because she lived there and I just fell in love with the city met a guy and I decided to stay there and I was there for over two and a half years in New Orleans. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, <laughs> it was cool. I, I loved it, but my liver is happy to be out of there. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of culture there. It was so amazing, especially growing up in Oregon, where it's so white and it's not nearly as diverse as so many other places in this country. But not being exposed to that, I think, is is not a good thing for people growing up here. I think that we need culture and there are ways to find it. And I think there are some places that are getting better. But oh, my gosh, living in New Orleans, it was like I don't want to like butcher the numbers here, but I know it was well over half were African-American. So it was definitely like a very diverse area. Um, and it was amazing. It was beautiful. The people are so friendly. It's it's so fun. They have a parade for any excuse. Um, <laughs> they're like, Flag Day? Why not? Let's do it. Mother's Day? Like, <laughs> So that was pretty cool. I lived in Tampa, Florida for a little bit. And we had a 1984 Volkswagen Vanagon. Um, my ex and I traveled the country in and ended up catching fire <laughs> in Colorado. It just did not survive the Rockies like it was too hard on it and I had a I think it was a 1984 yeah and it apparently that year they had some issues with um that happening I didn't know that I got the van for super cheap from a guy in Mississippi so I was like yeah this is sweet um yeah it caught fire we lost everything we owned except for my guitar and my backpack (laughs) oh my gosh so you you essentially did van life before it was popular. I guess so. I, I I've really I've always been really inspired by like a lot of the classic novelists like Jack Kerouac and Woody Guthrie. Like I've always I listened to Bob Dylan a lot growing up. Like I've always like kind of romanticized being on the road, traveling. Um and that is kind of hand in hand with nature as well, but in this time period I was more on the like traveling the road kind of vibe so yeah it's kind of funny so how did you end up back in the pacific northwest it's a great question so i was dying to come back to the mountains i was so over the south it's so hot flat just the bugs oh my gosh everything in florida is trying to kill you i was like i need to get out of here (laughs) there's like snakes and mosquitoes and alligators and just all the crazy people down there and stuff but there's some beautiful places, don't get me wrong. But anyways, um, I ended up actually applying to Yellowstone National Park in a, like a hospitality position. It wasn't with the park service, but it was we were like adjacent to them. So we worked with them as well. Um, and then I ended up breaking up with my ex because I was like, hey, you're really great, but I really don't want to live in Florida and you don't want to leave. So see you later. And <laughs> so we ended up, he was a really nice guy. I have nothing bad to say about him. But um, yeah, I was like, time to go. And I ended up working there for the whole summer of 2015. And I just, that's where I'm, that's, this is what I've been getting to in my like long rant here of like, that's when I finally was like, oh my gosh, I love the outdoors. Why have I been putting this off for so long? And I did some big hikes there, including like Electric Peak. Uh, I did the Skyrim Trail, went to the Bear Tooths. Like it was amazing. And I lost a lot of weight because um, I'd gained a lot when I lived in the South, just the food down there and no mountains. And just, I was, I'm not really a gym person necessarily. I'd rather get my exercise outside. So it's kind of, yeah. So it's kind of hard to do that when it's flat and hot and you just hate everything outside. So um, finally it was like, I'm here, I'm in the mountains. So, or when it went to my season ending, I was like, I'm going to go back to Oregon because I miss my friends. My mom moved back there. I was like, all right, like it's time to go there. So I moved back to Eugene 
Um, and that's where I started becoming a really avid hiker. I've been a big fan of William Sullivan. And then I actually found you on there, Hike Oregon as well. And I started looking at what you were posting and it was just like, oh my gosh, there's these people out here providing this amazing content for me to use to go outside. So I've been really spoiled up here. Very fun. And then you moved to Central Oregon. Yeah, I moved to Bend um, for school because I went to OSU Cascades. And I was kind of, I like Eugene a lot. My heart will, I always have a piece of my heart there, but I definitely was ready for a different like change of scenery. And I just love Central Oregon. It's so beautiful and um, the mountains and it's like, you know, 20 minute drive to a beautiful Alpine Lake. Like it's pretty amazing living here. Um, And then I started uh, working for the Forest Service here. And that's how I ended up. And that's where I'm at. (laughs) That's so amazing. So you said your work is seasonal. Is that like, what do you do when you're not working for the Forest Service? Yeah. So when I'm not working for the Forest Service, um, this last winter, I worked for Think Wild, which is an amazing nonprofit uh, rehabilitation center for wildlife. And we have a lot of different types of wildlife here in Bend and Central Oregon area in general. Um, Like right now they have a couple badgers, they have a bunch of raccoons, like tons of songbirds, just all sorts of stuff that needs rescuing. So I would help with rehabilitation. Then I was also the education assistant uh, helping out at Warm Springs Tribe Elementary School and teaching kids about them. Yeah, it was really a, it was really rewarding. But actually, I just got a permanent job with the Forest Service pretty recently, so I don't have to worry about that anymore. Oh my gosh! Congratulations! Thank That's you. So exciting. <laughs> doing the same thing or doing something different? Yeah, same thing. My boss. Um, I mean, he and I are just like really tight. He's awesome, um, and he said, you know, he's been wanting to get. A permanent position filled for a while and so he offered it to me and I said absolutely so yeah it's pretty exciting. This podcast is sponsored by CS Instant Coffee the best instant coffee on the trail. I am a huge coffee snob and I've tried countless brands of instant coffees on the trail over the years. In 2019 I discovered CS Instant Coffee and my friends can attest that I have been absolutely obsessed ever since. I take the awesome compostable CS coffee packets with me whenever I go car camping and backpacking, and they even come with me when I go snowshoeing in the winter as a nice warm drink to enjoy at lunchtime. If you haven't tried this incredible coffee yet, let CS Instant Coffee fuel your next adventure. Walk, hike, run, or bike over to the nearest place you have internet and go to www.csinstant.coffee. That's www.csinstant.coffee. So when you're out in the backcountry for work, are you the one that we see who's checking our permits? I do that sometimes. I'm not actually a wilderness ranger um, by title, but being a field ranger, we're kind of a jack of all trades. So wherever we're needed, they can plug me in and be like, hey, we need a wilderness ranger today. Can you go help them? And I was like, yeah. Like I went up to Bro- Broken Top the other day to No Name Lake and definitely a few people without permits up there. <laughs> oh. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you cite them or do you ticket them? I can't cite yet until I'm permanent. Um because you have to, it's like a long story. It's really dumb. But um, other rangers out there, field rangers are able to cite. And usually, if I feel like somebody is 
really destroying the landscape or there's just like a really big issue happening i'll i'll try to radio over and be like hey this guy's coming towards you and he did this and this um but it doesn't usually have to come to that which is good the permit system has actually been kind of a godsend out there it's like a completely different wilderness now it's amazing but that's awesome to hear how many <laughs> Uh, abandoned campfires have you come across this season uh, this season personally I've found two one at one at Sparks Lake and one um was, I found another one somewhere I think it was in a dispersed site but fire crews they find them all the time and that's actually how most of our fires in Oregon right now started like the flat fire bedrock fire they're all from abandoned fires pretty crappy that that happens yeah we haven't had any thunderstorms or anything so all of these have been man or human caused which is so unfortunate i know and we have uh in the forecast we're, we're recording today on what's today like august 2nd so yeah they're in this weekend we're supposed to have some thunderstorms so oh, okay yeah we'll, we'll see what crossed. happens <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh my gosh. So um, I guess a question I have is how has the outdoors um, or I guess even your travels helped shape you into the person you are today? So many ways. Uh, I love this question and I love hearing everybody's different takes on it because everyone's so different and it's so amazing to see what nature does for somebody. For me, it was my new high and I know that's the case for a lot of people who are like either recovering addicts and I've never really been an addict I mean I definitely drank way too much I lived in New Orleans <laughs> but but like and I, I would smoke cigarettes and stuff like that but I wouldn't say I was like highly addicted in that sense but for me like I've always been kind of chasing a high and I just didn't know what it would be and I tried all these different things I tried hitchhiking I tried living in new places, but then it wasn't until I summited my first mountain um, that I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so I guess in that sense, it's, I mean, it just makes me happy. Like whenever I'm feeling sad or upset about something, a hike will nine times out of 10 always cheer me up. I mean, it's amazing how that happens. And I always try to backpack once a year, at least it's hard with like getting time off, but yeah, where my friends and I are doing the Wallawas this August, so pretty excited. This month, yeah. <laughs> and I was also going to say um, another thing, too, that I really think is something more people should talk about is mental health, and that's something that I've always struggled with. I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but I have, like, PTSD from my childhood. I have anxiety, take medication for it, and I but I try not to take too much because I'd rather get my medication from the outdoors. <laughs> um, so that's another reason it's really helpful. And that's why I pursued that, that career goal for me of like being outside and like working for the forest service. And um, for me, it's really, really helped me like heal and it helps me heal others too. Cause then I can be like, Oh, this worked for me. And I'll, I'll bring my friend with me and be like, I think it'll work for you too. And I'm usually right. And it's like, Oh, it's awesome. Such a healing Thing for people yeah I, I love being able to share the outdoors with someone that hasn't really experienced it a lot it's pretty magical so what are some lessons that you've learned from um, like through being in the outdoors or hiking and backpacking definitely um, I mean there's like like funny specific ones of like <laughs> definitely bring bear spray because a lot of people don't and I just 
see all these horror stories. And when I worked in Yellowstone, I mean, I, the amount of stupidity I saw while working there was like so mind boggling. It was it was bizarre. Like <laughs> you're in this like incredible national park. There's people everywhere. There's animals everywhere. There's grizzlies, wolves, martens, all sorts of stuff. And um, yeah, just seeing people go right up to a black bear with cubs. You're like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, um, literally witnessed a guy. I always like telling my Yellowstone stories. They're pretty entertaining. But literally witnessed this guy. They, I don't. I think they were from China. They they didn't speak English. They spoke Mandarin. Yeah, and they it was him, his wife, and their two little kids. And he went in our general store at Roosevelt Lodge. That's where I worked. And he like bought bear spray and sprayed his whole family down, thinking it was repellent. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and I it's so funny because I was downwind of them like I had this big like housekeeping grounds maintenance tote that I would take around and like pick up trash and like all sorts of stuff and I was downwind of it and just the tiniest bit hit me and I was like on my knees crying like the bear spray was so intense <laughs> and yeah the whole family had to go to the hospital we had to like have a big just like discussion about signage and like having like no, don't spray your family. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. that's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I've always like wondered if somebody would do that and then actually witnessing it happen. I was like, oh my God, people are like this. No. <laughs> I've never even thought of that. But if you have no idea, if you like if your country doesn't even have bears, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think there's bears in China, but I don't know. Um, you know, because there's like mosquito spray that's to, for mm -hmm. you to put on yourself. It's not for you to spray the mosquitoes. So I guess it totally <laughs> makes sense. It's bear spray. It's, it's pretty wild. We actually have Mandarin interpreters at, that work for the park service because we get such a high, or I shouldn't say we cause I don't work there anymore, but Yellowstone gets a really high, like influx of travelers from all over the world. And there's a huge Mandarin uh, population that will come in and a lot of them will have like big tour buses or they'll just have their family or whatever but yeah so it's, it's enough visitation that we have a we have translators for it and sadly these people didn't get the the translation in time <laughs> I think I think to better answer your question though um, one of my biggest things I've learned is how many people are just not experienced or don't really know as much as they should before they go because I'm constantly out in the field you know trying to like promote leave no trace know before you go and it's like uh, sometimes I'll talk to people and they just have this glassed over look in their eye like what are you talking about I'm like oh my gosh <laughs> not like in a I try not to get like frustrated because I have to empathize with them and be like well maybe you know they didn't grow up in a privileged environment where they had access to all that stuff. Like, I don't know their story and I'm not going to assume. So usually I just kind of like laugh a little bit. I'm like, all right, well, let's talk about it. Like, let's talk about why you should know before you go. Like here you are on this closed mountain bike trail with your e-bike, which first of all, can't have an e-bike on a mountain bike trail. And also this is closed <laughs> and people are just like, what? <laughs> but then also just with like backpacking and survival, like I've gone with people that um, I had to provide a lot of stuff for because they forgot everything or they just didn't know. And I'm happy to do it, but it's also a safety issue. So I get a little concerned when I see that. So I think just like the more experience I get, the more I realize how little a lot of other people will know before they go out there. So I just encourage everybody 
to look up and research things, look at Hike Oregon, look at Bill Sullivan's books, like look up stuff before you go out there. Cause I used to be that way too, where I'd go out and be like, screw it. I'm just gonna go hike this and have no water filter, even though there's like 13 miles of hot sun ahead of me. <laughs> like don't, don't be like old Liz, like be like new Liz. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't pack the 10 essentials. Um, personally until um the eagle creek fire happened which was what i think 2017 you know so that's fairly recently um but before that i didn't carry the 10 essentials uh didn't even really know what it was but when the story of those hikers that got stuck was so widespread it really was like such an eye opener because like most of these people there, I think there was one guy that was actually prepared with the 10 essentials, but everyone else in that group, they were going on a little tiny day excursion. You know, they were going in for a swim. They hiked in like what, two miles to go to that pool to go swim. And then yeah, they, ended up, punch bowl, yeah. Yeah, they ended up getting stuck because of the fire starting and they had to hike all the way down to the PCT to Wadham Lake you know, most of them weren't equipped. They didn't have, they didn't even have clothing. Some of them were in bathing suits and flip-flops and, you know, they didn't have food. They didn't have water filters. They didn't have anything really. And that was so dangerous and very eye-opening for me personally. So even if I go on like the tiniest hike, like let's say I'm going to Trillium Lake, which is like, you know, it starts off at a busy day use area and you're hiking around the lake. Um, I think it's like two miles max. And it's, I mean, very obviously there's a ton of people, but like, even if I'm doing something really simple like that, I'm still out. There's no phone service, right? So I'm still out there. I will take my backpack, which is pretty big once you pack the 10 essentials, you know, and I will, th- I will take it. I will be that person that looks stupid and will take the backpack because you just never know. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I think more people should do that. <laughs> and then you see people summiting South Sister <laughs> with like one Gatorade bottle. And like Converse. I actually saw that. And you're like, oh no, <laughs> please don't get stuck. <laughs> kind of another reason not to get on a permit tangent here, but that's kind of another reason I think permits are good because it makes people stop and like prepare because they have to like read literature before they go, generally speaking. So yeah, because it's amazing a lot of the stuff I've seen. Like, yeah, especially South Sister for some reason. Like for I've some seen... reason, that's a one that people think they can just walk up to this summit that's six miles from the parking lot. So 12-mile round trip, very strenuous hike, and they think they're just, like, going to walk up the mountain with one Gatorade bottle. Yeah, 5,000 feet elevation gain, like, right. no big deal. <laughs> yeah. So how has your hiking journey changed from the beginning? It definitely changed from me being um, a lot less, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I was a lot more, like, unprepared and just, like, cool with it. <laughs> like, I, I was just very, like, oblivious. That's that's what I wanted to say. 
I was very oblivious um, and I would kind of just send it and like hope for the best and it worked. But I mean, I just got lucky. Like there could have been times where um, like a really quick little um, story was when I worked in Yellowstone, My I, have, I went backpacking, hiking with like this group of girls and we went on this one hike. It was like Lost Creek um, up to Lost Lake in the Beartooths and it's prime grizzly bear country like it's like you we saw like a bunch of them on the side of the highway like while we were driving up there even like there's so many there um among among tons of other things and like we're on this trail and um we saw like tons of bones everywhere we i'm pretty sure we found what was like a cache site because it was covered and it was like a carcass and i was like oh god (laughs) but back then i was just like oh yikes better get away from there and now i'd be like i'm not even hiking this (laughs) But we kept going and we were trying to get to this place called Black Canyon Lake. And it's so stupid because our friend um, wrote the map for it on a napkin and gave it to us. It was like, just follow these directions and uh, you'll get there. We're like, okay. (laughs) Um, We didn't have a map with us. We didn't have any apps. Like I didn't have a smartphone at the time. And like, oh my gosh, just look at, I didn't have a compass. I didn't have anything. Like I was full sending. it was pretty scary. And then we get to, and there was like a whole bunch of issues with the group anyways. There was this one girl, I don't remember her name, but she was from Ukraine and I couldn't stand her. She was just very rude to everybody. She took off and left everyone behind. And I was like, this is terrible. Like This is a horrible trip. <laughs> and that was kind of when I started realizing like, hmm, maybe I should care more about who I go on these trips with and maybe have a better map than a freaking napkin. So <laughs> we ended up getting towards the top and I saw like gray clouds coming in and I got kind of spooked because I knew, I did know at least that there's a lot of thunderstorms in the Beartooths like year round because it's so high up and it's, it's in Montana. So you're north. It's just, yeah, it's that environment. And I was like, Hey you guys, I think we should turn around. Like, I don't think we should try to get to that lake. Like we should go. And they're like, whatever, we're fine. I was like, all right. And then we kept going and not even like, 10 minutes later, we saw lightning strike the ridge above us. And I was like, oh my God, like get out, like let's go. And then they finally, after like the third or fourth lightning strike, they were like, okay, yeah, we'll go. <laughs> like, wow. Um, and then it started pouring hailing so intensely and we were running full speed. And I was like trying to make sure everybody stayed together. Um, this The girl that I was telling you that took off in front of everybody was only wearing sandals and she started getting like hypothermia. And I was like, oh my God. It was insane. And then finally, like, we're, we're running down. We're probably about halfway back to the car. It was a six-mile hike in. So we're like, yeah, three miles back probably. One of the girls, like, sprained her ankles. And I had to, like, carry her, like, on my side, like, hold her weight. <laughs> I was just like, this is such a shit show. <laughs> uh, we ended up making it back. But um, it's funny because there's actually another podcast called National Park After Dark, and I ended up telling that story on there, which is funny. But yeah, they, it was just so ridiculous. Um, and then after that, I was like, okay, things need to change. <laughs> this isn't good. <laughs> we almost died. Also, like, we're running full speed. Like, what if we spooked a bear? Like, that would have been such a bad, horrible thing to happen. <laughs> you're not even thinking about the bears at this point oh yeah no the bears were out of my mind I was just like it's hailing there's lightning I'm terrified (laughs) so and I think I was that was 2015 so yeah that was like eight years ago so I was 22 
yeah I was really young <laughs> yeah so after that you kind of took it a little bit more seriously and yes and prepped a little bit more yeah and I started investing in like better gear and like I grew up poor so like whenever people will try to like oh I just can't afford stuff I'm like I hear you but there's so many resources where you can get stuff for way cheaper like I got a bunch of my stuff off of Facebook I got it at Next Adventure in Portland Gear Fix here in Bend like I've I'm always trying to find deals because I'm not rich like I can't afford $600 tent like I make do with what I got but I make sure it's good quality well and also you don't have to have the nicest of the nice you know you don't have to have Patagonia this and North Face that like you can buy REI brand you know like it's gonna be a fraction of the price yeah it might be a little heavier it might not last 15 years you know but it will get you outside. And that's the whole point is to just be able to get outside. Yeah, exactly. I love that there's a lot of really awesome groups out there too that take people who are maybe like more underprivileged, like people from um, like like cities that don't usually have access to outdoors. I know there's some really great groups. I, I wish I could quote you some names of them right now, but I'm blanking. But there's some really amazing ones. There's ones for like people who are black that want to get outside together and feel safe in a group. Like there's a lot of really cool stuff like that out there. And also like Queer Collective and like get uh, with, it's Out Central Oregon is really awesome. They do a lot of really awesome stuff for people. There's lots of resources out there and I encourage people if they're scared to get outside or if they're, you know, like weary of price tags or anything like reach out and to some resources and I'm sure somebody if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'll I'll I have so much stuff like <laughs> you want a random backpack, I probably have one. <laughs> so, I always try to help people out too cuz I know what it was like to start from scratch and be like, holy hell, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so what is currently one of your favorite things about the outdoors or hiking and backpacking? I love to mushroom hunt and I love to find berries, like huckleberries. I love to find bones. Uh, rock hounding has become really big for me in the last year. Um, I actually had to turn off my rock tumblers so that I didn't disrupt this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, I have a lot of rocks. Um, My boyfriend's like, wow, you brought more rocks home. Great. (laughs) Where are they going to go? I'm like, I don't know, but we'll find a spot. (laughs) Um, So that's part of my favorite one of my favorite activities outside is to forage in general. Like I think it just, again, like going back to mental health for me, having anxiety when I have like hyper fixation and focus on something, all my troubles are like behind me. Like I'm literally just like, where are the agates? Where are the huckleberries? Like I'm just like looking everywhere and just having a great time. Like, and that's also a really great way to find new trails because I found some of my best chanterelle spots were like off of these trails in the such Oregon or not such Oregon um in like the western cascades like just hiking new trails and being like hey there's something orange over there and I'm like no way <laughs> I feel like foraging also kind of makes your connection with nature even stronger absolutely I mean we're benefiting from nature regardless you know when we're out there but like to be able to like consume something that you found along the way is so cool 
I totally agree. Yeah, it, it, I feel like so grateful for the land. Like every time I go fishing, because I, I usually don't eat meat unless I catch it myself. Um, except right now I've been eating salmon because I've just, I like salmon and it makes me feel a little bit better energy wise. But um, if I go fishing, I always say thank you for your life. Like I never just like, yeah, I got a fish. Like I'm always like super appreciative. <laughs> yeah. I'm like really appreciative. And then same with mushrooms. I don't say it to every single mushroom because that would take, oh my God, forever. But I'm always like, this is awesome. Thanks earth. Like it's just really cool being able to reap what the earth gives us. It's pretty amazing. And especially sustainably because it, you know, you're just going through the woods, just picking stuff as long as you're not like trampling pretty flowers, which I try not to do. So so what is a message that you would like to share with the listeners? What I really like listening to your podcast, I love hearing different people's perspectives and stories. And I think for me, I, a big thing that has come in really handy for me and also just amazing in so many ways is to have empathy for others. Um, I like this is coming from somebody who's seen a guy spray his family with bear spray I've seen all sorts of stuff and I'm still not going to go up to them and be like what the hell is wrong with you I'm going to be like oh my gosh are you okay why did you do this I think when you approach things with curiosity instead of judgment a lot of really amazing things are reciprocated and you might be helping somebody in a way that they don't even understand until years from then because I know I've had that experience myself so I think one of my biggest things is whether you're in the outdoors, you're hiking, foraging, whatever, even if you're just standing outside looking at a cool viewpoint, like always have empathy for everything and everyone around you. And that includes wildlife, that includes flora, like anything around you, like think about if you were in their shoes or like what you can do to like make them feel the most comfortable. I think if more people thought like that, we would have a lot less um, destruction, a lot less hate, a lot less anger. And I think that it would be something that would just make everybody a, a lot better in general. So that's kind of a big message I'd like to send out because I know for me, I've had people give me empathy and it just completely changed how I looked at people because I grew up in like such a hostile environment. So having that love from somebody can really mean a lot. So that's what, that's my message I'd like to share. I, I love that. I guess my question for you as a Forest Service employee and in terms of approaching people with empathy, when I see someone doing something destructive to nature um, while I'm out there, I'm immediately, of course, filled with anger and like judgment and like, why is the stupid person doing that? For example, I was just on the PCT. There was some hikers that were making a campfire in the Sky Lakes wilderness. And it was very windy. We were like kind of on a ridge and it was windy. And I would have approached them, but it was a group of men and I was by myself. So I didn't feel comfortable, but I have approached people before. So in that sort of instance where they're doing destructive behavior or like cutting switchbacks or picking flowers or something like that, how would you approach them with empathy? Because I know that if you do approach them, you know, not with hate or judgment, the message will be received better, you know, on their end. I just always have a hard time like 
not being judgmental, I guess. For sure. And that is on, I've been exactly where you are and I still get that way sometimes, but I just have to really like hone it in because there's some things I see a big one for me, for instance, a big trigger of mine is when people park on like fragile Alpine meadows. That's just like absolutely horrible. Like at the broken top trail on road 370, see it all the time and it sucks. That that's one that I have to like literally like sit myself down and like, um, like do some like meditation real quick. And then I'm like, all right, approach calmly, but firmly. So for me, especially when it comes to something where I feel really fiery and passionate about the best thing I do is first ask like, Hey, I noticed that you parked here. Did you know that this isn't actually a parking spot? Cause for one thing, don't assume they didn't know that because for me and you were like, obviously you don't park there. Like that's, that's crazy. But to somebody else who's like from Connecticut, not to hate on Connecticut, just just saying, like, say, example, like somebody from Connecticut's coming in, they've never been to an Alpine Meadow. Um, they're like, oh, this is a parking spot. It looks like grass. So for me, I'd be like, oh, so you thought it was grass. That's okay. I see where you're coming from. However, it's not. And I'll got, kind of go into an educational spiel and be like, well, so Central Oregon, I won't take this too long, but basically I'll be like, Central Oregon is a volcanic area that the soil is very porous, it's very dry, things don't grow here very well. If you trample this, it'll probably take 15 to 20 years for it to fully come back. Um, and then in the meantime, other people might be more encouraged to park here and further trample it because they see you parking here. So you see like the situation. And then I kind of get to a point where it's back and forth. That's my hope is that they kind of say things back. And in fact, if they get defensive, I actually see that as like, hey, they're listening. So I, I come like, oh yeah, okay, I see, I hear you. Um, but I try to get them to talk themselves into a bit of a hole so that they kind of realize. And that's actually happened quite a few times that it's very effective. So like a, a guy, for instance, coming up to me uh, before the Broken Top Trailhead was open because people could bike up that road, um, like out of Todd Lake, but they couldn't drive up. And I was up there with the coworkers because we were going to go scout the trail. And he comes up to us and he goes, coming in hot he's like i've been here 40 years like i've i deserve to be out here this is my backyard and we're we just kind of like nod our head like uh-huh yeah i hear you and <laughs> and we're like well just so you know regardless of how you feel we do apologize for any kind of inconvenience this may cause but this is how it is and we do need to respect that and he'll be like and he just kept saying over and over again 40 years backyard deserve and we're like yeah we heard you you said that yeah and then he's just kind of was like sorry I, I know I'm kind of repeating myself we're like yeah you are you know you can tell you're passionate you know so are we <laughs> and you kind of just have to in a non-condescending way talk to them like how you would talk to a kid who literally doesn't know better like it, that's kind of the approach I take because if I didn't do that approach with my job I would lose my mind I would go insane <laughs> And it took me a long time to learn that. It's not something that I think people are necessarily born with that skill. It really just takes practice. And I'm, I still mess up. I still make mistakes. I'll still might get a little fired up about something here and there. But generally, if, if you're really conscious about the education aspect being like the vital importance as opposed to the they're wrong situation, that's what really works. So I think just being educational, patient, because no matter what, like, they're probably going to carry on and do whatever they're going to do anyways, but at least they now know. And that's what matters. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. Perfect. And my last question for you is with your new degree, 
what is what are some like future goals for you in the outdoors? Well, since my degree is in tourism, recreation, adventure leadership, I love to lead backpacking trips from my friends. And I would love to eventually like, I don't know, do something maybe on the side hustle of doing that. I don't know how I would. I know you have to do like LLC and all that stuff. You had a, a one of your guests. I forgot her name, but she was pretty recent, said that she Yeah, Norther. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Norther. She like leads lead stuff in Tillamook area. I'd love to do something like that here, um, but probably later on in life because I just want to travel and like have time when I'm not working. Um, we're also converting a school bus into a tiny house right now, so we're very busy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for me, that's kind of like, that's something I've always dreamed of doing. Um, and my best friend, Kiana, she's was the same major and she also graduated and we were both kind of talked about how awesome it would be to lead trips and stuff. So for now we just make really awesome, beautiful itineraries for our backpacking trips. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was such a pleasure having you on here and learning more about your story and your current job I I love hearing I think it's fascinating (laughs) (laughs) thank you I think it's amazing we finally got to talk because it's been years like just going back and forth and I've always really admired everything you do and you're such a strong woman and I definitely have like such a big soft spot for strong women that it just makes me so happy to see so thanks for doing this and thanks for having me oh thank you so much yeah I can't believe you said it's been since 2016 that I know that's a long time ago really a long time ago it's crazy (laughs) well thank you so much and I hope you have a great rest of your day Thanks, Francisca. I hope you do too. And keep up the awesome podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Again, if you have an inspirational story about how the outdoors positively impacted your life, please send a short synopsis to hikeoregon at hikeoregon.net and put in the subject line podcast guest. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and happy trails.